Amen. All right, everyone. If you are new, my name is Jeff Kerr. Christy kind of introduced me as well, but her, she and I pastor this church. We started Homestead with uh, a faithful group of about 50 people that had kind of come alongside us to join us and started about oh, coming up on two years, two years this March. So we're excited to see what God is doing here in Farmington and in the surrounding communities. Thanks for being with us today. If it's your first time, I hope you feel welcome. Um, we are certainly glad you are here. We are going to jump into a time of teaching this morning, and in a minute we're going to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. If you would like to follow along, the words that I read out of the Bible are going to be up on the screen, but also at the ends of most of these rows, or some of these rows, is a black hardcover Bible that would be in the same translation that I'm going to be reading from today. So if you'd like to follow along, please please do that. Um, we have been, <clears throat> normally when we speak on a Sunday morning, Christy sometimes preaches, I sometimes preach, sometimes we do series. We'll be involved in a series of teachings. So um, it would be maybe some, a book of the Bible we'll go through. We did Matthew last year. We've worked through the book of Genesis and some of the patriarch fathers of the faith kind of series. We've gone through Philippians. We've talked about different practical things. We're, we're brainstorming and coming up with ideas for series that we can do this year. We'll work through some other books of the Bible. I know right now, starting today, we're, we're having all the kids at least learn the names of the books of the Bible, which is awesome. I love that they're doing that. Um, I, I mentioned this last week that I think the more that we are in the Word as followers of Jesus, the more that time we spend spe- uh, reading Scripture, having Scripture involved in our families, having our kids in the Word, uh, it is certainly beneficial and vital to our walk of faith. Um, so most of the time we're in a series. The last couple of weeks we've just been kind of doing some, you know, I guess we'd call them standalone teachings. I wanted to take the first couple weeks out of the year and just teach on a couple of things that as a church, as Homestead Church, and also to us individually, I think are foundational to who we are as we follow Christ. And so last week we talked about one of the things that is foundational to us at Homestead is that we grow in our faith. We grow. We are not satisfied just to say, well, I just go to church. I mean, maybe you are. I'm, I'm saying hopefully what I would like to see is that we grow. We don't just say, well, I'm just going to go to church and put in my time, punch in, punch out, and then go on living life however I want. I want us to grow. I talked last week how I would love it if we set a goal as a church to just read the scripture. I'm, I set a goal for myself this year to read through the whole Bible, and so I'm done with Genesis, and I think I'm probably a little bit behind schedule, so I'll have to get caught up this week. But um, if you wanted to read through the whole book of the Bible, or the whole Bible, it would take three chapters a day, and you could do it, maybe about 15 to 20 minutes a day on average. Um, if you're like me, sometimes you get a bit behind, almost like flossing, and then before the dentist comes, you're like, i got to get caught up like six times a day. It's going to, like they don't know that I flossed six times that day. Um, maybe you want to read the New Testament through. One less than a chapter a day, you could read through the whole New Testament in a year. But I encourage you to grow this year. Grow in your faith. We set goals. We set all sorts of goals for our family, for our finances, for careers, for physical fitness and health. I would love it if we set goals. How am I going to grow in my faith this year? Maybe it's go on a missions trip. Maybe it's when we have times of worship like we did singing. Maybe it's sing along. Maybe you saw some people raising their hands in worship. Maybe this year you just say, yeah, I want to I take a step in how I express my love for God. It could be family scripture reading times. It could be, you know, any number of things. But I want us to grow. Last week we talked about that, how when we read the Bible, we see that God, for his people, has set them apart for the things of God. We are set apart. I used that 
Bible word, that Bible sounding word, consecrated. We are consecrated. In Christ Jesus, we are set apart. We no longer just live life routine every day how we want to, but now we live life for God. That's what I talked about last week. So this week, I wanted to jump in and talk about another kind of big idea, another core belief, I would say, for who I want to be as an individual following Jesus, who I believe Jesus modeled for us, is what we're about to read in the scripture today, and what type of community I want Homestead Community Church to be. So the story is found in Matthew chapter 9. It's a very short story. Maybe if you read through it, maybe if you're reading through Matthew, you might skip over this. It's like five verses, and it might not really jump out to you, but it really jumps out to me for a couple key reasons, and I'm going to highlight those this morning as we, as we talk for a few minutes. So Matthew chapter 9 Uh, verse 9, and I'm going to read verse 9 for you here. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. We're going to stop there just for a second. Jesus walking along. This is the point in Jesus' ministry where he is calling people to be his disciples, calling individuals, and we know there ended up being 12 of his disciples that he called and said, I want you to leave what you're doing and follow me. And so he's walking along with his, some of his disciples, and he sees Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. There's nothing really crazy about that story seems fairly normal. You might read through that and be like, okay, what's the big deal? I want to highlight a couple of things beneath the surface that are going on here. Matthew is, we know him as Matthew. Uh, we, that's his, that would be his Greek name. His Hebrew name would be Levi. So if you read the same story in some of the other Gospels, you'll see him referred to as Levi. That's his Hebrew name. Levi means that he is a Levite. He is from the Hebrew tribe of the Levites. If you know from reading through the Old Testament, you would know these people were in charge of temple worship. So Matthew is a, is a Jewish person, a Levite from the tribe of Levi, in charge, supposed to be in charge of temple worship. This is a highly religious duty that Matthew, Levi, would be in charge of or be a part of. But when we read this, we read that Matthew is not found in the temple Where is he found? He's found at the tax collector's booth. He is a tax collector. So, I've mentioned this before. Tax collector means this. At that time, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. Israelites were second-class citizens. The Roman Empire had taken over, had complete authority and influence over Israel, and basically were using the Israelites as pretty much slave labor, and to fund the big empire. So in order to do that, they would have people collect taxes from their fellow citizens and send them to Rome. So Rome was not highly popular amongst this part of the world. This is like someone has come in and taken over. And not only that, so Rome, Roman citizens are hated by the Israelites. But now you have certain Israelites who have said, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. And this was not a fair thing. There was a lot of extortion going on here, a lot of poverty amongst the Israelites. And so under the weight of this oppression from Rome, they're also feeling the weight of poverty. And here's Matthew, one of many, who had said, you know what, Rome, I'm going to get in good with you. I'm going to collect taxes from my fellow citizens. So he is seen, Matthew is seen as a traitor, as a sellout, he is despised. He is not only not doing his 
kind of priestly duty in the temple as a Levite. He is now sold out to the Roman, the hated Roman Empire, collecting money from fellow Israelites. So this is the environment going on beneath the surface. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking along, sees this guy. Everyone in, in, around would have known all the things. This is Matthew. He's a sellout. We can't stand this guy. He's sold out to the Romans. We despise him. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Come follow me. For the other disciples, this would have been kind of like a, oh, so I guess we're letting anybody in now kind of thing. Like, oh, wow, great. The group dynamic just got really awkward now because we can't stand this guy. And now Jesus, you know, Jesus, maybe you could have asked us first who you want to let into our little club here because this is going to make things really weird. Jesus invites Matthew, an outsider, hated and despised, to be a follower so that is kind of the first thing we see in that first verse. And then what happens next is really, if you're kind of the religious person in that day and age, this is really where it gets interesting and, and scandalous, even though we read it and it doesn't seem like a big deal to us. Continuing on in verse 10. So this is after he says, Matthew, come follow me. It's in verse 10 it says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. When the Pharisees, who are like the religious uppity-up people, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a big moment. This is a big moment. I want to look at some of the things that are happening in those scriptures this morning. First of all, I've mentioned this before. Eating a meal together was really significant in this culture. Meals were central social and political gatherings. Who you shared a meal with was important. You shared a meal with people who were like you, who shared your social standing, who shared your economic standing who certainly shared your religious standing. There was often boundaries set up for if you were having a meal, you would say, well, you people are included. You are excluded for these reasons. Certainly there was religious reasons why people would do this. In religious circles, it was important to only share a meal with those people who shared your beliefs. And there was a number of reasons for this, but you always only included people in your religious circle. And anyone who wasn't in there, you would say, sorry, you are not included. You are not invited. They did this so that proper, you know, there was ceremonial things for the Jewish people that needed to be done. There were certain foods that could not be eaten or had to be prepared a certain way. And so part of it, I think, was practically speaking, you know, they're going to put a high priority on their religious rituals and say, okay, because of that, we got to play it safe and we can't let any of these bad people any of these sinners partake in our meal together. But I think also than that, it was just they liked to have this idea of we're the important people, we're the good people, and we feel better about ourselves when we can highlight who the bad people are and say, sorry, you're not invited. This is what's going on. And so these religious people see this. Not only has Jesus invited, despised Matthew to come be one of his followers, now... 
you know, it's probably soon after that, Matthew throws a big party, invites all his friends, the sinners and the tax collectors, and Jesus and his disciples, and they all have a meal together. And this is why the Pharisees are upset. Why is your teacher eating with those people, essentially, is what's going on. You think your teacher is a religious leader. Look who he is eating with. Look who he is hanging out with. How can he eat in a house of sinners? And as I was studying this week, I read a few commentaries, and there was one that I found really funny. Um, There was one that said the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, which would be kind of like the textbook. You know, the Jewish Jewish people had their law in the Old Testament, but then they kind of wrote a document over hundreds of years called the Talmud where they would list out more specific rules and regulations, all the rules. And so I was reading a commentary that said the Talmud defines sinners. When, When they say, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? The Talmud would define sinners as these people. They would say, sinners are anyone who, I have it written down here, anyone who can't be called to act as judges or witnesses because of their moral unreliability. They are morally unreliable, therefore we can't call them as witnesses or judges. You know, that's who they would call as, consider sinners. And then it said, the Talmud lists them as these people, which I thought was great. The Talmud enumerates them, sinners, as dice players, okay? Pigeon racers, those usurers, usurers, like people who lend money at a super high interest rate, basically extorting money. Dealers in produce from the sabbatical year, people who use food that's not ritually clean. Robbers and other violent criminals, herdsmen or shepherds, customs officials, and tax collectors. So there's Matthew right there, listed with the pigeon racers and the violent criminals. You know, I... Well, those pigeon racers, those are bad, those are bad dudes. You ever, you ever met a pigeon racer? That's a bad dude right there. You don't want anything to do with those guys. Another commentary I was reading, and I want to put these words up on the screen. Grant, you can throw those up there. There's kind of a list of a definition there. This is from Zondervan's commentary, and he says this about that, about that verse. Sharing a table with others was a sign of friendship and goodwill. In not being choosy about his eating companions, Jesus ignores purity boundaries and provokes the Pharisees' ire. He torpedoes the whole system of ranking and classifying people where the devout are to be extolled and the sinners shunned. Jesus accepts into his fellowship social outcasts and sinners forgiven by grace. He classifying people where the devout are to be extolled and the sinners shunned. We live in a world where there are still times where people feel the tendency to do that, right? The outsiders, we don't want you around here, and we want only those who are good to be around us. So in the minds of the Pharisees, as they are seeing this, for Jesus to share a meal with these types of people indicates that he includes them with his own fellowship. It also suggests that he condones their behavior. And this is what the Pharisees are most upset about. In their mind, these religious people, they're saying, Jesus, by hanging out with them, you're condoning their behavior. And Jesus' response, so great, his response is, it's not the well who need a doctor, it is the sick. Go and he- learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Meaning, I, want de- I desire mercy for everyone, not sacrifice and religious behavior. I want mercy, not sacrifice, for I, have called to ca- for I have not called to call the righteous, 
but the sinners. This is Jesus' reply here. There's so much going on here and so much that applies to us as individuals, us in this culture, us as a church, as a group of people that want to follow Jesus, just like Matthew did that day. Followers of Jesus, there's so much in here that speaks to us. And the biggest thing is this, is that Jesus is demonstrating for everyone. If you have the good behavior list, Jesus is demonstrating to everyone, everyone who thinks they're perfect morally, all the Pharisees, all the religious people, all the way down to the sinners and the pigeon racers who were there that day who were saying, Jesus is saying to everybody, you are all included. You're all included. Everyone is included. There are no outsiders. In the kingdom of God, through Jesus Christ, with him, there is no outsiders. This is kind of what's happening in the group dynamic. This is what Jesus is letting be known to everyone who is there. But on a much more individual level is Matthew. Here's Matthew, and I love this thought. Matthew, who, as a Jewish person, would have been familiar with the law, would have been familiar even with Jesus' teaching up until that point. He would have been familiar with all the rules. He would have known that he is an outsider, that he is hated, that he is a hated tax collector. He would have known all this. And now, probably that earlier that day, he experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus when Jesus said, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. Matthew has had his life changed by the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now his response, I love his response, is I got I to gotta tell all my friends. I got to get all my friends together because I have experienced something. My life has been changed by the kindness of this teacher, by the kindness of this Savior. I got to tell all my friends. So he gathers all his friends. Says, come, come have a meal with me. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Come have a meal with me. I want to introduce you to this guy who has changed my life. Matthew threw a party that day, and I love that. I love that. He just simply said, I want to get my, my friends, my family members, my fellow tax collectors around and I want to get Jesus there, he would, have, he would have just said, you know what, I'm not worried about all the religious rules. I simply want these people to get to know Jesus. This is who we, as Jesus followers, are supposed to be. People who have experienced God's grace, experienced the open arms of Jesus, who for all people invites us, come follow me, come follow me. There are no outsiders. There are no outsiders. There's no excluding. This is who he calls us to be, these people who receive that message, that grace of Jesus, and now simply just invite others in, invite others in, not excluding, inviting people. This can involve simply inviting someone to church. This can involve sharing your faith or telling others about Jesus. But foundational to this is going to simply just be do life with people, build relationships with people. Don't put people on the outs just because of certain behaviors that you don't think are morally acceptable in your church world. Welcome people into your life. Who are we going to be as Christians? Lots of churches, I think, in, the, in our country today exhibit there at times, and I don't want to generalize, there are times where certain churches, certain groups, and you hear about them on the news, exhibit more Pharisee-type behavior of saying, we want nothing to do with those people right? Because we don't agree with them. We don't want to condone their behavior, so we're going to kind of shun them and keep them on the outs. And Jesus would say, no. As a Jesus follower, you open arms. You welcome people in. You are recipients of his grace. Why would you not show that same grace to other people? And this is a difference in, there's a big difference, and maybe you've experienced this, in introducing someone to Jesus and introducing someone to a religious system or a institutional church sort of thing. So if you've experienced this, you know this. When you introduce people to a religious system, 
rules, regulations, kind of what we would call behavior management, it just gets really awkward, right? Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced, and hopefully you're not experiencing this today because maybe you're here and someone invited you to church and you're like, brother, I am there feeling that right now in this church right now, all the rules and rituals. And maybe you've experienced that where you have an invitation to come be a part of a church and all you hear is here's everything you got to change about your life if you want to be a part of this church. Here's everything. And once you start behaving in these ways, then, then you can belong to, with us or believe like we do. You know, no more pigeon racing, you know, that's for darn sure, right there, mister. Let's start there. But when you, instead of introducing someone to a religious system, introduce someone to a loving Savior, introduce someone to Jesus. When you introduce them to someone who shows kindness and brings freedom and wholeness, who is not there to condemn and judge, but to simply say, hey, come follow me. I have abundant life for you. When you introduce someone to Jesus, to a kind, loving Savior, a Savior that says no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you are welcome. You are welcome. And then he begins to do a work in you as he's doing in all of us, building faith, refining things in us, making us more like him. When we do that and it's in the, under the umbrella of God's kindness, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different deal. When we do it out of showing love, when we simply just invite people into our life, build a relationship, when we stop looking for reasons to exclude people, say, I can't be around you. I can't belong with that group of people. I don't agree with their behavior. When we stop doing that and we simply say, I want to invite people, all people in, build relationships with them with the hopes that one day we'll introduce them to Jesus and just say, here's, here's the Savior that has changed my life. And it could be as simple as doing what Matthew did that day. What did Matthew do? He experienced this, and he threw a party. <laughs> he opened up his house. He invited everybody in. It could be as simple as maybe that's a goal for you this year sometime, maybe a couple of times. Throw what you can call a Matthew party and say, you know what? I've got all these neighbors in my neighborhood that I don't know, and I'm going to invite them over, and we're going to throw a party. Now, and, 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 and don't even feel like what I want to say, and Hopefully this doesn't sound bad. It doesn't have to be like, well, I'm going to invite them all and then I'm going to trick them because then at the table there's going to be Bibles open and be like, oh, how did those get here? You know, so I'm going to, I'm going to trick them. Before, before we serve dessert, everybody, my family and I are going to do a human video about the truths of Genesis. And, you know, there's nothing like that. You don't have to trick them. I think, we've, I think many people have experienced that enough where it feels like this feels like a trap. You know, the Christian across the street is being nice to me. Like, look out. This feels like a trap. We don't have to do that. It would be so great if you simply invited people over and just said, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to care about you. I want to show kindness to you. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to include everybody. I don't want it to be like, well, those people are scary. I'm not ever inviting them into my house. You know, include people. Build relationships with them. Do what Matthew did. Just throw a party. Just throw a party. You don't have to do the awkward, you know, every time a conversation can be turned into a Christian conversation. You don't have to do that every time. But maybe there will come a time where you're talking to a neighbor and you'll hear something like, man, I don't know what to do about this. I'm nervous about this or I'm having problems in my marriage or, boy, I don't know what to do with my kids. And maybe you could just see that as just an open door. Maybe even before that, you could just say, God, you can pray to God, just say, hey, I'm building this relationship. Open doors as you see fit for me to talk about you and my love for you. Open doors. So it can be just in a natural, conversational way. And when you hear those things, you could say, hey, here's what I've experienced. Here's what I've learned in the scripture. Here's what Jesus has taught me. I'd love to share that with you. 
hey, we're talking about this in church. Would you like to come with me to church? When you hear some of those things, people struggling with things, then you can say, hey, you can be normal about it. Just say, like, for, a lot of, for a lot of Christians, that would be the thing. Like, be normal about it. Um, just come with me to church. Come with me to church. If you've, and I, I want to say this, maybe you've experienced weird, awkward, like Christian attack, <laughs> you know, where it's just like everything, every conversation turns into, well, what we read in Scripture is this. And, and if you've experienced that, maybe you're here today and you would say, yeah, I've experienced that. You, for most people, it comes from a good place. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is an important thing to us. This is an important thing to us. If something's important to you, you tend to want to talk about it, right? In our house, we got a puppy at Christmas time. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This was, for about a year, this was important to my kids. And they talked about it every day. The puppy. Dad, we want a puppy. Dad, we want a puppy. Dad, when are we going to get a puppy? Every conversation, since it was so important to them, was, oh, this, this TV show is good. You know what that reminds me of? Something else that would be good. A puppy. And it was like, the, and it was just like over, and I felt like the whole year they're trying to convert me to, to buy a puppy. And I gave in, and I caved. And since then, the warmth of the puppy has, no, it hasn't. It's been sleepless nights, and, you know, the puppy's fine. Point is, when something is important to you, you talk about it. So if you've been around a Christian and you, on your journey of faith, would not call yourself a Christian right now, and it seems like, man, every conversation, I'm getting so tired of it, every conversation is about church and this. It could be that it's coming from a good place where they have something that has happened to them that is important. We recognize that eternity is at stake. We recognize there is eternity at stake. The Bible says that when we die... Those who are in Christ go spend eternity with Christ. Those who aren't spend eternity as separated from God. We recognize there's a truth here. So there is a good heart at work. Sometimes we as Christians don't handle it well, but I think there is a good heart at work where we simply want people to know, hey, here's what is important to me. But more than that, I want us to be people that invite people into our lives. So what group are you in? In this story that we read today, what group are you in? Are you the sinners, the outsiders? Maybe you're here today and you're feeling nervous because even the thought of going to church just brings back bad memories where you experienced a church that let you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you are not welcome here because of how you look or how you behave or what you believe. You are not welcome here. We don't want to be that church. So maybe you've experienced that as an outsider, feeling like an outsider in the, in the area of faith. And this story should ring true to you and be so encouraging to you that Jesus, the one that we follow, models for us there are no outsiders. Nobody is on the outside. You are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. We want to be a church that does this. You maybe have experienced awkward Christian witnessing tactics, but at the heart of it, we simply just want you to get to know Jesus who has changed our lives. And you have to know this. Maybe you're here and you're feeling like an outsider today. Even if you never accept the way we believe, you're still welcome here. We still love you and will gladly welcome you as often as you want to come. You are still welcome here. Maybe another group, maybe you're like a Pharisee. Now, I, don't, I honestly don't think our church, Homestead Church, has a lot of Pharisee-type people who are like, oh, we better not see those people come in here or else we are out of here. We don't want anything to do with them. But maybe you've subtly fallen into the trap of ranking people where you would say, well, those people, I, gotta, I can't condone their behavior, so I can't even talk to them or be nice to them. Maybe you like to draw the boundary lines, the boundary lines of who is in and who is out, who is good and who is not good. Maybe you spend a lot of time judging certain groups of people, categorizing sins as these ones are acceptable, these ones are really bad. Pigeon racers, these are really bad. 
Um, if that's you, remember the kindness of your Savior. Remember the kindness of our Savior, who in the depth of our sin, even as we fall again and again, as we try to follow him and we fall short, he is kind and loving. And the last group would be the, the Matthew, the Matthews in the group, the Jesus followers. Let's simply be like Matthew and bring people to Jesus. Be like Matthew and not exclude people. Know that Jesus welcomes everyone. We can't exclude people because Jesus welcomes everyone. And I think we need to learn we can't fix people. Only Jesus can do that. Only the power of Jesus in their life can do that. So I want us to be a church that is open arms. And not just open arms as people happen to wander into our services on a Sunday morning. I want us as the church in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, students, in your schools, you can be that open arms where, man, I can't think of another place more than high school where people are excluded and included, and here's the people that we want to hang out with. Maybe you're a student, student here, and you could say, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to welcome everybody. I'm going to at least build relationships and show kindness to everybody. I want us to be a church that, like Matthew, has experienced the mercy of Jesus, and we simply want to tell others about it. And this is not just because I say so, or what we read in this story. Later on, if you read in Matthew chapter 22, a very well-known verse, somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And you probably know this. Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And that kind of talks about what we talked about last week. We are set apart for God. We need to live in every area of our life for him. And then Jesus says, but the second is this. And you know what the second is, maybe. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan, and people are like, well, what do you mean your neighbor? What do you mean your neighbor? And, he's, and Jesus basically says, people that you come in contact with. That's your neighbor, people who are in need. And I like to think of, perhaps Jesus also meant, when he said your neighbor, perhaps he meant your neighbor, you know? <laughs> your, the, the person living on your street, maybe he meant that as well. Where you do life with people, people you work with, people you see, people you see at the store, people on your street. I've loved getting to know people in my neighborhood. I've been intentional over the last few years of being involved in other groups and joining a health club to get to know other people that have nothing to do with church. I love it. I love getting to know them. It's good for me to get out of the church Christian bubble every once in a while. I love it. But I love it because it helps me realize Jesus is an open-armed Savior. He is welcoming to all people. This is important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you have. This year, let's love God in everything that we have, every area of our life. And let's also love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let's openly welcome them into our life. Build relationships. Be real. Be authentic. Show care and concern. There's a guy that I met at the, at the health club I joined. I would consider him you know, no disrespect, but I would consider him highly unsaved, and just as I've gotten to know him. But there's been times where he knows I'm a minister, so now when I see him, he calls me preacher, which is great, and we do a, a fitness class together, and he calls me preacher, which is awesome. I love it. And then he was going, traveling over Christmas to his family. I said, how's, how, how's your family doing? And he's like, it's going to be rough. My brother's there. My brother is struggling. And I said, what's your brother's name? I'm going to be praying for him. And it was just a, it was just a normal thing. I don't know that what has happened in my friend's life since then, but it was just a little open door where I can now say, hey, how's your brother doing? I was praying for him. Who knows what's going to happen in this guy's life where he's going to remember that and he's going to say, hey, I know preacher, 
preacher cares about me, maybe I can talk to him about it. I'm, and I'm praying for open doors to communicate more with him about that. But let's be people that build relationships in our world, in our world, in our neighborhood, in our world. Um, so that's, that's about all I got right there. Um, <laughs> let's close in prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we do that, let's just take a minute and maybe it's even, maybe you know the person. You know, maybe God has put on your heart for months of someone that you're supposed to just talk to. And for whatever reason you have felt, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I would say or I don't know how they're going to respond. But let's do this for just a minute. Let's think about maybe, maybe a few people, maybe five people that this year you would say, God, put on my heart five people that I can just go show kindness to, that I can just go build a relationship with, that I can strike up a friendship and not have it be like weird, but just have it be a real friendship. And then offer that to God and say, God, you, you do what you do. You do your thing. You change lives. You change hearts. So maybe there's a few names that you could think of right now. Maybe when you get home or even right now, you want to grab a, an envelope or something and just write down some names. Say, God, who have you put on my heart that you want me to just reach, just invite into my life this year? So, Lord, this story that we read today is just so great. It's just, this changes everything for us, knowing that you are a Savior that doesn't exclude, but you include. You include. And then you call us into a relationship with you where we can get rid of some of the burdens that we have and some of the baggage that we have and the areas of sin in our life that we can get rid of, and you replace that with abundant joy and new life. We thank you that that story is there, and this is what you've done in us, and you're continuing to do in us. So, Lord, I pray that we as your church would do that for others, that we would be that kindness. We would be your representatives in the world showing love and kindness to all others. Help us to do that. Help us to model what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church. Help us as collectively as a church to always be a people where everybody, man, I want everybody to know, no matter who they are, what they've done, we can go there because they'll welcome us. We can go there because they are welcoming to us. And we simply want to introduce them to you, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.